hello and welcome to Sonic Talk episode, oh, well, let me see, it must be 408, which is probably a magic number, one that I have not researched, so I do beg your pardon. Uh, however, all the usual constants are in place, uh, which is uh, sponsorship via isotope.com. Uh, we have a competition prize to give away of a very own copy of Ozone 6.1, which I think will be a favourite this week. Chance just seems to have had it to a regular in the chat room, so I'm very pleased to, to see that uh, uh, fate managed to bring them together. And also, I want to say thank you very much to them for sponsoring the show because we've also got another copy of Ozone 6.1 to give away today, which is pretty cool if you think about it. So as usual, we have a fulsome chat room, which is now uh, safe and secure, thanks to the works of Dan, the sysadmin man. So uh, thanks to him. And I guess it's probably the all it reigns me to do is to introduce our guest. Actually, what I should do beforehand, before you tune out, uh, or perhaps, you know, you I don't remind you later on, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel because all of this stuff goes straight up on YouTube. In fact, this will probably up there tonight, shortly after the show. So I thoroughly recommend that you do that um, because I want to hit 100,000 on YouTube subscribers so I get one of those gold play buttons. So even if you've only got two accounts, maybe you could subscribe from both of them just to give us a little bit of a boost. (laughs) Anyway, that's probably not allowed. So that first chuckle there you heard, let me see, that was Mr. Gaz Williams, who's in Bristol. Um, Gaz, who in fact I was... uh, at your house just this week when we were uh, enjoying a little bit of libation and um, and stir-fry. How are you, Gaz? <laughs> yeah, good, thanks. Getting ready for Glastonbury. So if anyone, any listeners are going to Glastonbury um, and playing with Matuki on Saturday at 12, 10pm on the Glade stage or, and also Sunday at 7.30pm on the Avalon Cafe. So if anyone is uh, coming down to Glastonbury, Pop over and say hello. It'd be great to meet you. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Hold up a Sonic Talk placard. That's what I want Yay! to say. In fact, I think I think there was a great photo of uh, that Dave took when he went to Reading at, or Creamfields and he held up and it's a Sonic Talk. It's just a brilliant <laughs> photograph. You know, obviously just th- was that right? Did you see that, Rich? Because you, you, I guess, were you on stage? I can't remember. Did I the, see the, it? The I took the circle. picture. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, I, I do beg your pardon. Uh, and I'm sure you are very... Uh, anyway, well, thank you, Rich. Well, which means I may as well bring straight to you, Rich Hilton, of course. Cheek uh, uh, keyboardist and Nile Rogers studio guy. Not uh, And in fact, I spotted you on the Nile Rogers documentary that was on in the BBC. I watched the whole thing because I was thinking, I wonder if Rich gets to speak in this one. But you were there sort of prodding a, what looked like a, a keyboard to, in a rehearsal kind of situation while they were filming Nile in the foreground. So, yeah, it was a very interesting document- documentary, actually, to be perfectly honest. So, um Anyway, how are you, Rich? Are you good? I'm, you played Hyde Park, well. didn't you? played Hyde Park. I saw that photo. How many people? Uh, well, it depends on who you believe. I've heard numbers up to 150,000. Well, uh, let's take wow. the high number because it sounds much better. It was, it was immense. I took a panoramic shot and put it on my Facebook page. It was a lot of people. <laughs> a real sure lot of people. And how did the gig go? Did you feel the love? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Excellent. It was big fun. I'm so glad to hear that. Brilliant. Well, anyway, Rich, uh, of course, is often, I, I guess he probably, this is festival season and outdoor f- season. He's probably playing. You're, you're not playing Glastonbury, are you? You're this time? No, we're not at Glastonbury this time. Okay. You did the Hyde Park thing. That's That should be enough. That's That probably equals Glastonbury in terms of numbers for a single gig, I'd imagine. Uh, there will be plenty more festivals, but we've pretty much trampled the UK high and low over the last few months. And uh, I think we've got one festival up in Linlithgow, Scotland in August. But most of our gigs now will be um, Scandinavia, Austria, Ireland, um, stuff like that. Ah, cool. A few well, in the States, a few couple in the States. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Rich. I know how busy you are. And finally, Mr. Mark Tinley, marktinley.co.uk, music technologist and creative thinker. And you've got a, uh, what's that, a Buffalo um, Network attached storage drive box behind you. <laughs> Looking rather imposing. Uh, my daughter came to visit, which means the spare room had to be dumped in my studio. So I've just about got room in front of this camera and yeah it, it is a bit imposing it could all fall on me at any moment <laughs> it does it does offer some sort of damping though i do oh, definitely sound a little little less uh, roomy but yeah you look well, a bit I'm encroached double glazing next week so when i get my double glazing then i'm gonna have like lots of nice foam everywhere and then i'll be really damp <laughs> damp right I want, I want the grown-up from the chat room to tell me what my password is because i've forgotten it and i don't know how to retrieve it and so uh, uh i, I can't i can't hey, I, played in, I played at glastonbury fringe on monday ah so is that is that like a sort a of fringe festival going on in the town well i say little i mean it's all sorts of different things going on uh, but they invited me to come along and sit in the marquee and i played my gas can guitar oh, and nice did some one. weird blue stuff and yeah, it's mm. very nice actually. So and do I've they get acts to... that acts that are passing through? So they get you, you know, you are you mixing with the? the I don't the, know. The I wish they that... would. I mean, um, uh, Nick was t- Nick Rhodes was talking to me about Glastonbury, and I said, "Why don't you just come and play the Fringe and then tell everyone you're playing in Glastonbury?" But he doesn't seem to get the um, get the irony or the or the publicity stunt that it would be about it because we could book the you can a- any. Any of the kind of big venues in Glastonbury could be so you could book the Abbey, uh, which is ten thousand people, I suppose. Wow! You could do that oh, bang in cool. the middle of the festival. It would be like a really interesting twist, I think, if, for somebody that wanted to do a publicity stunt. But then I don't know anything about marketing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark rarely goes well. <laughs> Mark, you ha- you you have most of your book, name though. is marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Sell, uh, and I've also well, I'd sold one book in uh, in Glastonbury. I was very pleased about that. I don't know who's got it. Ah, well, that's good. <laughs> uh, and the other guest that we've got on the show is the JDXO, which arrived yesterday afternoon um, when I got back from visiting Gaz. Oh, this is it. There you go. Anyway, that's enough of that. So um, let's move on. Let's get uh, our topics underway. Um, the first one. Now, this is you know. Th- this news came out, I think, last Wednesday. I know. Oh, gosh, I can't remember when the story went up. I think it was it was really late, and I remember having to scramble before I went to bed to get to post it. And this is uh, here it comes. One of main synthesizer in techno. I, I really can't describe it, but it it seems like a piano player actually made the keys. A new take on classic concept. Wow, man, this just brings back memories, man. It's making me want to cry. Take me down memory lane. I guess all the most exciting stuff when I was growing up looking at Yamaha since was the really, really old CS series. That's right. It's a teaser. The tried and tested campaign of releasing videos on specific dates uh, for this new Yamaha reface. Uh, now, if we just go to uh, the screen there, you can see we've had the one that came out uh, whenever that was. And then we've got one today at some point, which I'm ha- hoping will happen during or at least during the show so we could do it. And then we've got one on the 29th and one on the 7th. And I think the official launch is... 7th or 9th or something like that. So, yeah, 13, I don't know if anyone wants to work that out, 13 days to go. Um, there you go. 
Um, and so they're brand new thing. And then a little shot of a uh, Yamaha FB01 <laughs> front panel, which is, yeah, quite a nice juxtaposition. So new Yamaha stuff. Uh, I, I have to confess I am under some form of uh, agreement. So I do know more than I'm allowed to say, but that's as far as I'm going. But I, what I'm curious about is, you know, obviously Yamaha have been one of the companies that have been, the, the they're probably the last of the big guys to join this kind of new analog stroke, uh, new resurgence of synthesis uh evolution revolution i'm not quite sure where the term reface lives but uh i don't know um rich you've probably been you know exposed to many uh, oh maybe i'll go to gaz while you finish your <laughs> mouthful uh gaz what are you what are you hoping for because i mean it's very it, it's unclear isn't it there's mm. kind of there is a little shot in there which has a sort of what looks like rocker switches from an mm. organ or you know who knows what it may be so i don't know what what do you think what are you hoping what would you like it to be shall we Ooh, say well i mean you know yeah obviously yamaha have an illustrious synthesizer history but we haven't seen anything from them in the kind of creative synth uh market for quite a long time they've tended to go for things like the motif and these you know which are solid reliable you know probably excellent instruments in their own right but in terms of um you know real hands-on stuff i mean the an1x series i guess was that what it was called um Mm. uh maybe those kind of things was the last that we saw of yamaha in this particular market so the, I mean, the big clue is in the name, the reface, isn't it? So, you know. You think there might be some sort of reboot, re reimagining, re something in? Yeah, I suppose that that's, might be. That's what it would suggest. And mm. and then, I mean, uh, you, you know, um, the whole kind of, like the CS range, obviously dominated by the CS80, but there's a whole, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of very cool synths in that range um a friend of mine who's got many synths uh which one is it now what would be um monosynth cs oh i can't remember cs15 it might be a cs15 yeah i think it is actually uh is his favorite synth he i've got one of those they're nice uh, right yeah uh so i mean (laughs) who knows yeah who knows but but yeah i mean let's hope that they have kind of seen what like maybe the ira range has been doing and you know what you know korg have been up to and and have thought yeah we can do that and you know raise the game and bring something out that people yeah i mean really it could want. never be, it could never be a bad thing for something like them to come in and, and you know the, the the notion that it might be something um that is not the motif engine because you know that's been kind of pretty well productized over over many years uh mark are you uh are you much of a fan of yamaha stuff i mean what would you like uh, like to see <laughs> i've just been riding my yamaha actually ah a um, yamaha motorcycle yeah yeah <laughs> it's unlikely yamaha to be... are a remarkable company they seem to make absolutely everything don't they everything from uh from jet skis and outboard motors to um well the other stuff we use um am i a fan of yamaha stuff i've always been a fan of um fm stuff i like the sy uh sample based synthesis but they i think they were the first people to put resonant filters on things with uh sample playback on it in the right. a sampler if i remember rightly uh which was quite groundbreaking i remember at the time um I, if it's reface, I mean, it, it's the clue in the um, is in the 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 lettering somehow because uh, I wonder if it's anything to do with the CS 
range, but this or no, CE the FM FE. Uh, well, really, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I, you know, I want to know what it is. <laughs> right. Well, we, uh, I don't suppose we. I, I suppose the thing is, is you know, this is one of those classic. I mean, it's designed to make conjecture, and it's designed for all of those things. Um, yeah. So you know, there is going to be a certain amount of that. I don't know if Rich has anything to add to that. I'm just sort of trying to time it so that he may have. Uh, Ah, there we are. Sandwich. Oh, sorry. I was I was just muting the sounds of your breakfast there. And so you had that. me muted this time. I, this this gonna, time I'm it was me. I would like to say that was me, not Rich. Okay. <laughs> um, I suspect that it could be a sort of series of knobs, not unlike the ones sitting next to you right now, that house a engine that allows them to run emulations of their classic products. As well as perhaps providing some sort of new en- engine-driven uh, synth along the way. So that all this teasing about CS in the old days, it makes me feel like this and that. Unless they're actually putting analog synths together under that hood, more than one of them. <laughs> I suspect that it's good. sort of like what Roland is doing with these series where I they're harking okay. back to their uh, earlier days and claiming to be able to reproduce some of those sounds as well as providing you with a new engine that does all these other wonderful things. I think that's uh, that, that seems like a, a wise words there. I mean, obviously, I can't really comment. It's very difficult for me because, uh, um, well, just because it they is. Sort of, hmm? They sort of threw the AN1X back at us recently, didn't they? Um, in, in, in the app. Uh, in the iOS OS. App, yeah. Ah, okay. So they're Sinfuck. sort of they've they've gone back in that direction to sort of say, hey, hey, remember this, remember us, remember what we did. So maybe it's a a hybrid of between FM and AN1X and and the CS and then the samplers as well. That would be good. That would be interesting. The S because well, the SY99 was a hybrid, wasn't it? It was an FM synth. Yeah, yeah. Was well, it was that. That was the so beginning of the uh, of, of their new uh, AWM2 synth engine, which had yeah. multiple style types of uh, synthesis, which had you know the the, the uh, analog modelled uh, or certainly virtual synthesis, but it wasn't specifically. I also analog, like. But... Um, there was the TG55. Was it 55? That was a good Oof, synth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the rack. Oh, TG500, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah. And that, oh, I, I don't that remember that That was also a good scent. Uh, now, okay. I wonder if they're going to respond to, I mean, me and Nick were talking about this the other day, how there seems to be like a trend of synths that maybe aren't these all singing, all dancing, multi things that we've kind of gotten used to in the last 20 years, but, but more, <laughs> but more, um, you know, specialized specialized simpler Mm -hmm. lots of kind of controls but not having to you know and and that seems to chime with what people want you know maybe people don't want this one thing that does everything but something that is uh you know just more direct and simpler to use yeah Mm, uh, yeah so mm, again okay i wonder i I reckon it's got to be something to do with cs because it's in the name isn't it reface cs Reface, yes. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, this is. These are the. the there will be. Uh, let me see if I refresh this page. Let's see if it's happened yet. 
that would be pretty awesome if it suddenly popped up and I could play the next instalment. <laughs> I doubt whether they're going to time their release of a video just to coincide with us, but you know, I'm, I'll, I'll keep checking and see if it's there or if anyone spots it in the chat room. Just uh, just far out. By the way, hello chatties, uh, lots of you in there today. Fulsome, as I'd like to say. Thank you very much for you all giving up your time. I'm sure some of you probably have work to do, so don't get caught and don't get into trouble. Um, but if you aren't, then uh, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Right, anyway, well, that was that. Was that. Um, let's see what we got next. Oh, yeah, this was hilarious. Uh, well, I think hilarious. Uh, this is the... Uh, the next topic was um, sound engineering declared the grumpiest profession in the world. And I'm assuming this is live um, because I, I don't know many studio engineers are particularly grumpy. Uh, but bizarrely, you know, it was, a, it was a piece written by a chap called... Uh, let me see, what was it? Graham Sanders on Wonderground Music, which is obviously a bit satirical. You know, there's, it's quite fruity, shall we say, the language in it. But uh, that, that it's more sort of anecdotal than anything else. But what was really odd about this, you think, oh, yeah, whatever. I posted this on Facebook and it's had nearly 20,000 views via our Facebook page. So it obviously really chimed with, you know, the sort of people that are watching uh, the, the sort of thing that we do. And that's quite... Um, that, so that that must be that there is some sort of resonance in there. Now, I mean, most of us have had experience. Some of us have been sound and I've spent quite a lot of time as a live sound engineer in a club. And I have to confess, I probably was grumpy at times. But I don't think I hope I don't think I, I would. I hope that I'm not. I wasn't uh, at one of the uh, the reasons that this article was written. I don't know. I mean, I know Rich. You're probably working. You know, uh, you work with guys that you've already you know vetted and get on with, and probably presumably aren't grumpy. But sometimes, you know, do you think there's any element of truth in this? And you know, for or against, I suppose. I am so much grumpier than they are. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> in fact, those two guys are the farthest thing from grumpy. I think I've ever seen uh, the guys who tour with us. So in that regard, and and of course the temptation was to go, who's grumpy, you know, but yeah, it was amusing, I guess. I guess so. In that sort of the same way, the girls that's standing out in the studio and the engineer is turning knobs and auto-tuning her in real time, you know, it's supposed to be funny. Um, It's, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, (laughs) How about, uh, how about you, Mark? I mean, you know, perhaps there has been a shift you know maybe engineers used to be grumpy but now they are so much more part of a production certainly in the studio part of the production or unseen as much i don't know about live i mean live if you're turning up somewhere and you're using the house engineer that might well be the case but you know certainly not if you you wouldn't bring a grumpy engineer with you (laughs) given a choice right Oh, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time being grumpy, actually, ah, and some well. of that time being a sound engineer. And when I was being a sound engineer, Both. I was extremely grumpy. When I was being a backstage tech, I was even grumpy. I used to throw, oh no, I not say that, actually, I'd get into terrible trouble. Um, <laughs> things may have flown from my hands into the, uh, into the seats in the theatres, <laughs> and there was a very grumpy sound engineer actually said hey tinley man what are you doing to that theater these seats are 100 years old uh, that doesn't so sound was, grumpy that just sounds like you know he's trying no, he, to pres- save you from grumpy. yourself ah. we used to he was uh, uh our live sound engineer was a guy called davy moore uh who we used to call the quag because everything was really shit and grumpy and <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so he was definitely grumpy. But I think here's the, here's the thing. This is what happens with sound engineers. Sound engineers go on tours. They visit strip bars. They meet strippers. They think <laughs> it's a good idea to get in a relationship with one. Uh, they get married to the stripper, and then they go back on tour. And then 
the stripper gets bored, maybe. <laughs> wow, is this, is this, is, do you think this is the case for every single sound engineer in the world? Because I don't remember doing that. I, maybe I missed out in life somehow, somewhere along the line, or made the right choices as opposed to the wrong. a handful of them, but I know a few. So I know right. a few with that exact story. So, um, wow, that's odd. Yeah, Gas. it's kind of weird. Sound engineers, I mean, you know, bless them. A lot of them who were working in these kind of venues that have bands like you know three or four bands a day every day and they're turning up you know the most pallid kind of complexion you know have to endure these awful bands every night of the week you know occasionally a good one might play but you know they get so kind of disillusioned by music that even when a good one turns up they're so, you know, they've, they've formed like a big kind of shell around themselves from all being bombarded by this utter crap that they have to deal with so <laughs> I, uh, often. Yeah. And, you know, and their love of music has been eked out by this parade of inept and unimaginative, boring, repetitive crap year upon year. And the poor, the poor, the poor creatures have just, you know, they've, They've they've devolved then into these kind of hard little rocks then that are um, you know, um, but there is a I way like of, Gollum. Yeah, but the, I I love chatting to sound engineers and I love you know when I turn up to do a gig I love kind of you know having a getting to know them a little bit and having a bit of a laugh with them and trying to get through that shell you know and. Uh, and talk about the stuff, you know, about some of the kit, ask them things. And, and you know, they then enjoy working with my bands then because, if you know, showing a bit of interest in them. A lot of the time they're just treated sort of badly by the bands themselves. I don't know. You know, so I think... Well, I know, I think that I think there is an element of truth in that. I think there's... Because generally the, there's the apocryphal story. So, I mean, we're talking about sort of house engineers, really, the, the kind of who you would have at a venue. This is what I used to have. And quite often you have bands who maybe are less experienced. They come in and they have these really... These expectations that you're, A, going to be difficult and, B, um, going to be able to perform some sort of magic wonder with what they turn up with mm-hmm. so those two expectations sometimes result in a in maybe at the end of the experience it not being all they can be i mean i used to try and find that a, a way to educate in a kind of in a nurturing sense you know say well maybe next time if you try this you know that that's going to make it a lot easier for everybody on stage it'll make the your sound checks go better maybe you should consider this and that sort of stuff and that, i think there's an element of that and i guess after a while you probably can't be bothered to do that and if you can't even do that as well then you know you might end up being grumpy and and presumably you know i certainly in the venues i worked at you didn't get paid an awful lot you know part of it was because you'd chosen to work in that industry and you you know you generally do it for the right reasons like i, I imagine it must be similar to politicians Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich, you look like you wanted to. Hop I do. In there. Um, I've known certain people on the road who were absolutely PhD level grumpy, like they had raised it to a high art and were really good at it. And it was <laughs> highly amusing to see them react to situations because you knew you could never take it that seriously. And this guy would like lay down in the street for you. I mean, you know, like yeah. so it was never aimed at anyone in particular he just was so good at this one guy in particular as being grumpy and when you talk to other guys from other bands who've worked with him they all know that he's famous for being ex- and he's a sweetheart of a man i mean inside you know but he's just 
one of the best grumpy people I've ever known. <laughs> yeah, there is a. I think there is a, a tra- there is a way to do it so that you uh, you maybe just um, make something funny out of it. I suppose so. But anyway, it was an, it was a bit of, a bit of fun and a bit of uh, just a bit of lighthearted. But I, I was really surprised at the amount of people that just went, yeah, hell yeah, and the, the amount of comments and stuff, enormous amount, really. So there we go. That seems to be that. I think this is probably a good time to uh, lighten things up a little bit with uh, a, mo- a word from our sponsors. So, of course, Isotope. Uh, you want to elevate your sa- your grumpy-sounding mix, possibly even, into uh, a world of wind brilliance. You want Ozone 6, because this is the, as I say, the de facto mastering suite in many, for many people. Uh, get essential mastering tools, equaliser, dynamic, maximizer, excite, imager, post-equaliser, dither, and dynamic EQ, which is available in advanced only. Classic analog gear, the texture of it with really deep digital control. Make smarter mix decisions aided by robust real-time visual speed feedback. I mean, it really is kind of the way forward for many people. You can put it on the bus, you can put it on the tracks, you can use it to finalise the mix. And if you want to get hold of this, uh, isotope.com forward slash iris will give you a 10-day free demo. Well worth checking out. But while we're here, uh, let's just... Um, well, we have a competition, and last week uh, we asked you to. Uh, what did we ask you to send? I'm trying to remember now. It was we asked you to tweet the hashtag Excellent Audio and one word to at Sonic State and Isotope Inc. And we will, in fact, be doing something similar this week, but with a different uh, set of words. And the winner this week is D L. DS Elsinth in the chat room, who has been there for... He's, he's a very generous fellow with his characters in the chat room. So I can't see him there at the moment, but I do hope he's there because uh, he's won. And now uh, I can get his email. I think I might even have his email address. He is there, in fact. There he is. And so congratulations, DL Elsinth, a popular fellow. And he now has Ozone 6.1 via the Isotope Ferry, or it will be. I'll, I'll make that so. So th- well done, dear. There he is in the chat room. Woo! Wee, he says. Woo! Yay! Lovely. Well done, mate. I'm very always very pleased when uh, a regular shows up in the winning uh, in the winning slot. So there we go. And also this week we've got another competition, which is um, much the same thing. Uh, we want you to tweet the hashtag Deep Digital Control, which is one word, uh, no spaces, and the hashtag Ozone Six, which is Ozone Sit with six on the end, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So that's what you need to tweet to uh, enter the competition for the next week's draw. Uh, the hashtag Deep Digital Control, one word, and the hashtag Ozone 6 with 6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And um, we will draw from the winner next week. So um, go to it. Uh, and obviously, there's more than 100. There's 140 characters total there, so you can add some extra stuff. In fact, what did DLS say? I couldn't quite make it. I think he's he's one of the people who has a bit of a thing about the Isotope Ferry. Um, proposing with hugs and flowers gives hashtag excellent audio eventually. Uh, and Ozone 6 at flight level 300. Not quite sure what that means, but that's the sort of thing we're after. Just interesting extra characters. Add it in there. So once again, we thank uh, Isotope for the sponsorship, and uh, do check them out. So uh, let's see what is uh, next. Oh, this was this was also another um, bit of fun. Uh, this is on uh, Create Digital Music, uh, Peter Kern's excellent blog. Uh, this is Adam, um, excuse me, Adam John Williams, uh, who was basically, this is what he takes on the road with him. I'll see if I can make that image bigger. Yes, I seem to be able to. He's got, obviously, MacBook Pro. Uh, let's see, I can make that smaller. Can I make that smaller? MacBook Pro. Uh, looks like Machina there. Um, a few a few selfie sticks, a camera, 
uh, pair of headphones, Zoom H4 recorder, which, H, uh, no, is that an H4N? That looks quite interesting because obviously you could use that as a recorder, but if you plug it into USB, it's a sort of working USB audio interface. And this just really begged the question, you know, when you're going out and you think, I might get creative on the way, what do you take with you? Because there should, you know, most of us have a sort of core of creative stuff that we take. And uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to explore this. I'm going to come to you first, Mark, because... Um, you probably travel light, I'm guessing. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm suspecting it might just be your iPhone, um, but I could be wrong. Well, I I played that thing the other day, the Glastonbury thing, fringe thing, and I took a laptop, uh, a Line Six UX One interface, um, some leads, and a guitar, and a microphone, actually. So so everything. So I did my own mix. I gave them a feed from my UX one and I did everything in the computer. And and I was talking to my daughter about this and I was saying, um, when I used to go on tour with Duran in the nineties, I always wanted to sort of, you know, like you have that dead time. You, I'd set next keyboards up and then I'd have this dead time and I'd think, well, the band are coming in at four to sound check. So I've got a few hours and then I would think, well, should I set some keyboards up myself and do my own thing? Uh, and record some music and I'd never kind of get round to it and the beauty of it now is that if you have it in your laptop you open the lid and you can work instantly and then you close the lid and you put it away and then I don't know the band would sound check and then you open the lid again and carry on from where you were so I kind of I love I love Ableton in a laptop I think that's that just definitely has to be the best way of doing it because you can export to so many different formats at the end of it you can work in so many different ways. You can work as linearly like a tape recorder. So I could I recorded things. While I was playing, I actually started recording myself and then playing on top of my uh, uh, things I'd recorded, which was kind of interesting. Um, so I think uh, I think the the iPad's fun, but the laptop powerful enough to to uh, really do stuff with. So I think I think so like a, laptop, that and an audio audio interface. Right, okay. with Ableton and any audio interface, really, everything's pretty much quick enough to get the the low enough latency, and and to just run everything myself. So you know, I I'm in. I took their SM58, plugged it into my rig, and then uh, and then gave them a feed from from what I was doing, so I could sample myself, I suppose. Um, ah. So, so I you could perform you know, or like, yeah, okay, that yeah, like pretty. So I was doing. So I was using Ableton like a loop pedal, I suppose. Um, right yeah and I had some pre-prepared stuff in there and I had and and then I thought of some other things while I was going along I thought oh that works hang on I'll put that in the computer and and kind of carried on from there um but in terms of like it's just it's just it's a Swiss army knife isn't it the laptop yeah it it is no you I could walk I could walk into the local choir with a laptop and a microphone and record the choir and do a linear recording or I could uh if I have an idea for a beat I can throw that in or or whatever yeah I just said um uh, Terry M in the chat room says he's using a beat step pro on a laptop I don't know where he's got a beat step pro from but uh good for you if you're using that I know uh Rich I mean you're on the road quite a lot I mean I don't know how much time you get to be creative on the road I mean I know you have an iPad and what have you do but I mean assuming you were I mean what's your sort of what what would you recommend um if given the uh, opportunity to advise us well I do bring my laptop which is a MacBook Air in this case and I love it I have brought uh, a Motu interface on occasion where I had to do playback in a large environment with a bunch of outputs and I brought a ultralight Mark 3 
which is a really nice half rack space interface. It's got gobs of inputs and outputs, goes up to 192K and costs like 500 bucks. I bring iRig MIDI with me everywhere I go. Right. I bring Apogee One most places I go. I bring, uh, let's see, the laptop. And then most recently, ooh, I get to show you my new toy. Ah, I got one of these. Excellent. The KMI. Which I'm very pleased about. And I'm thinking I might start shoving this into the bag because it weighs so little and it does so much. And then I got one of these. Ah. These were my father's father's day gifts. This is the Nano Control 2 Korg. (laughs) I I got that as well. I've got one. So uh, I've got I've got my little toys here in front of me. I I don't know if I'm going to bring those. It's the same like with the blue headphones. Like I I don't know if I really want to bring something that uh, right now. I'm wearing my backup yeah. set of in ears, which are Shure five thirty fives, and they sound really good for the money, and they fit everybody. They're not you know custom fitted. Uh, so I bring two sets of in ears, which are my monitors if I need monitors. I don't bring speakers. And that's so enough. It's all very small and light and very versatile. And as Mark says, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can't do on a laptop these days. I mean, when you have to do large format multi-track editing with huge sessions, you know, having a laptop screen starts to become a bit of a liability. But other than that, you can do pretty much – and you can even do that. It's just a bit of a pain. Just a bit less fun, yeah. Oh, well, great. And Gaz, I'm sure you've got some great ideas on this as well because you are Mr. Kind of Portable Gadget. Every time you, <laughs> yeah. I see you, you go, oh, have you seen this? And it's a, a, some new Bluetooth speaker or whatever <laughs> it may be. And uh, hmm. I know, I, I'm suspecting there's no difference in what you're going to about tell me now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I always take it like a tech bag out with me whenever I'm going and I tend to pack it specifically. But I mean, certain things that always go with me are... Um, apogee mic and apogee jam those are both really useful little tools and uh, i think i've shown this before but these things are really handy this is called a cocoon and it's sort of like a matrix of elastic straps and you can just put all your cables uh it keeps everything really tidy so, so oh, that's interesting uh, it's really cool i should load it up with stuff that's the right um, thing isn't it cables they just mm, get it it's massive massive spaghetti and it takes that's, that's the longest thing to set up trying yeah. to tangle that's the cable. what i'll set this up in in the background another thing another thing that comes with me a lot of the time is uh, this little fella here which is the old zoom oh, the H- zoom H- h2n and that functions also as a class compliant audio interface for the ipad so yeah it's quite cool that you've that it, it's a multiple multi-use thing um what else uh obviously and like an ipad is a brilliant useful thing and um, my my op1 when it yeah. works uh <laughs> yes so my the saga of my broken op1 which is here uh with it open i've got it open with a with a little panel open there ah uh, yes so that you little, can rep- I mean, you yeah. can replace that whole board, can't you, which we discovered. So you can unscrew that's, that and just put a new board in. That's what's coming. So I've ordered one. Sadly, it won't come before Glastonbury because I've been asked to do a little gadget performance in Glastonbury. So um, I think I'm going to do it just with the pocket operators instead. Um, ah, brave. Yeah. Uh, but, um, oh, here's an interesting one. This thing. 
this uh, is a it's like a battery pack, so you can use it to charge things. But it's also got a, a, an SD card slot in it, and it creates its own wireless network. So, wow! This is the only way I've found that I can get things that I've recorded using the H2N into my yeah. iPad, <laughs> into my iPad without using the internet. So I take the SD card out of this goes into here and then i can access it through the the little piece of software and i can actually it's a bring this so so do you use using the ipad as your main kind of you don't take the laptop with you then no i don't Ah. i have got a laptop but uh i don't know i mean you know and this wow yeah no i mean i've got a 17 inch macbook pro it's it's a bit too bulky for doing stuff there is one other useful thing with this is that I can plug it into my OP1. I can plug my OP1 directly uh, into it, and then I can actually uh, then transfer. If I make a mix on my OP1, or if I can actually get the mix down off the OP1 and into, into the it. iPad. What's that? Uh, what's that thing called that, that you're it's holding? It's called it, it, well, it's a Kingston uh, Mobile Light Wireless. So, um, yeah. all right, let me. See. I'm just going to see if I can find that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, here we go. So it's about it's about twenty five quid or seventeen pounds mm. in some mm. place. That seems mm. like a very uh, so very yeah. budget for the budget conscious as well. That's neat. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know we were doing show and tell either. Ah, have you got, got something to show? Look. Ah, I always used to hanker after one of those. I think. Made me feel like a proper sound engineer if you turn up with luggage like that. No, pedals. No, not pedals. It's a little surprise. Uh, Okay. Cakes. No bloody cakes, (laughs) no. It's one of these. Oh, it's the Artoria uh, Artoria. mini keys or key station or something, isn't it? It's called. But I drilled big holes in the bottom of it and bolted it to the case. So it lives in there, and then I just, you know, won't come out. So right. Bolt it in. Um, it's, and you can just plug it into USB. It's self-powered. It gives you lots of knobs and keys and buttons and things like that, <laughs> sliders and all of those sister, things. Our system admin in the chat room actually just said maybe he thought there were stripper mags in there, but I thought that was... Uh, but I thought <laughs> <laughs> Probably no room for those in, in there, although maybe oh, you're very on. thin. Uh, as magazines fine. have become very thin these days, you probably might fit one or two in there. <laughs> oh, what's that then, Gareth? Oh, you've, you've put some stuff into it. I see. That's neat. I found that on Amazon as well. That is the uh, Cocoon Medium Gridded Organizer. You mm-hmm. can get one here for, uh, there it is, it, 14 something mm. rather, fourteen sixty one on Amazon Prime if you're it's, interested. It really solves that, that problem. It keeps it really solves that problem for me. And uh, yeah, yeah, I recommend that if you do those, you know, travel-y, travel-y kind of things. But yeah, as I say, you know, I could shake it and nothing falls out. It, it's really, really kind of quite effective. Right, what's the URL for that? I want one of them. I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put one in the chat. I'll put one in the, ch- uh, in the show notes if I if I remember. I will try and do that. I'm also trying to put uh, links in the show notes as well. Um, but while we while we're on the subject of portable, this is this is actually uh, not uh, on the the topic list. But it did. I noticed it today. And Mark, I know you were hankering of this. Is the new Zoom F8, yeah, nice. which really is nice a proper kind of location recording uh, thing, and it's got. Uh, uh, 
I think it's got 10 channel input, uh, all sorts of options with, uh, if I go to, maybe if I go to the main page, this just, just being announced, it's, it's expensive. It's a proper location recorder with um, time code in and out, uh, plenty of inputs and all sorts of possibilities for um, uh, uh, power. So you've got three lots of power. You also got th- uh, two SD cards, you know, just a really kind of quality a bit of kit for uh, location recording, which used to be handled really, you know, prior to this, uh, really expensively by things like analog devices and, you know, Nagra stuff, you know. So this could be uh, certainly a- another option to it. And, and and it's just a beautiful looking thing. I mean, I don't need one, but I'd really like to own one because it looks so good. Uh, Rich, I see you nodding there. It's just, it appeals to the, I don't know, the, the, the luggage fiend in me. You know, it does look nice, doesn't it? You could, mm-hmm. you could I mean, I in terms of recording... Hear. Yeah, no, we'd obviously need to hear it, but uh, it does I look pretty. A, I'm sure it's going to sound funny. Oh, you're talking Sorry. to him, aren't you? And I'm talking over him. So no, it's cool. What'd you get? <laughs> no, I bought a thing called Juiced Link. Juiced Link is this thing that they designed to um, to uh, improve oh, yeah. the preamps on cameras, but it's absolutely outstanding. Uh, and it just improves the preamp on every kind of recording device I've got. So, And, and having got used to that, and it's kind of uh, what's that really expensive uh, two-track recorder called? I can't remember the name of it now, but it's like it's right up there with that kind of quality. So having got used to that quality, unless the zooms got like is it is it that is it well one of just one of the Juice Link? There's lots of different ones. They're There's like little preamps. They're all really good. All of them are really good, and it's quite clever. It one of them deals with one of them just is just a preamp, which is really good. Another one is designed to deal with the automatic level control in which is built into cameras and what it does is it hammers the right hand channel to fool the automatic level control into thinking that it's hearing something really loud and then it cleans up the other side and you're recording mono on the other side which is just ah but it stops the agc from yeah yes yes that is a good idea assuming you don't get too much flat lines dalc but um but um it's not earthworks The, the name of the a two-track audio recorder that I'm trying to think of is like absolutely kind of top quality one. Um, they're like three or four grand or something. And this thing sounds, makes your audio recorder sound as good as one of those. So uh, the zoom would have to be, I think it's like a hunt, you know, like whatever, whatever the theoretical maximum range for 24 bit is, this thing's almost in that range. And it's absolutely whisper quiet. You don't get any hiss at all. Oh, that sounds promising. Uh, and with most of these two-track things, like the Zoom and uh, the Tascam thing, all of those things are noisy now for me. Because when I listen, I just go, oh, hang on a minute, what's all that background noise? And I've kind of, like with this Juice Link thing, I've got used to like not having any background noise at all. It's really, really good. And... Um, Okay, well, that's worth. That, They're not that, that expensive. They've really that, worth having. Really. They were they were designed originally, I think, to solve the kind of awful audio in DSLRs, and so you get a better set of preamps, and you could just bung them in. But you like yeah. I say if it, it looks like. Then they're not terribly cheap, but they are. They have become a, a bit of a de facto standard. Well, thanks for that, Mark. That's an interesting one as well. Uh, I've only used the word interesting a couple of times. I've, I've been very self-censoring on that this week because I, I, I don't know how many repetitions there were last week, but there were a lot. 
which is not interesting. So, um, Glastonbury this weekend. Now, this really, uh, let me see if we've got the light. I, I, I thought, oh, yeah, it's well, Glastonbury this weekend. Biggest show. I mean, 180,000 uh, official tickets. It's become this it, absolutely enormous. And I thought, oh, I'll just check the lineup. And honestly, this page. I think the headline, we've got the headline, Florence and the Machine on Friday night, uh, Motorhead, uh, Mary J. Blige, Kanye West, Pharrell Williams, Paloma Faith. And then you just keep scrolling down to the stages. And honestly, this page is about 19 feet long. The number of stages there are on this uh, at Glastonbury now, it's uh, astonishing. And obviously the ticket price is high, but I mean, just the being able to see even a minute fraction of what's going on there would require some pretty serious organisational skills that would even beat kind of making sure you get the most out of Disneyland when you go there, you know, which you, know, you get those sort of families which are kind of mum organises it and figures out, right, if we go there first, we go there, we get a ticket for this, you can get absolutely as much as you possibly can out of it without buying a, a, a pass. I don't know that this sort of, Glastonbury seems to be in danger of requiring a special pass that means that you can get to all of these things and see as many of them possible. Obviously, the BBC are covering it and they estimate, I think they estimate at 20 million viewers uh, for their coverage because the BBC, as we know, have had uh, the coverage for it for years and years and years and uh, a great job they do as well. I know, uh, Rich, I mean, the, the when you played at uh, Glastonbury as Sheik, you know, that was quite a... In fact, they cited it in the documentary on Nile as, as a real sort of uh, tipping point in many ways because, you know, as we know, Sheik are a great live band, and when you get the opportunity to play to that many people, it can really influence an enormous sway that a generation of the public about a band. And you know, so it has a lot of power. So, astonishing. I mean, you played there in that massive arena. I'm sure we talked about it at the time. I mean, thinking back now, you know, what the, what what are the sort of how was the whole process for you? I mean, did it did was it smooth? Because I mean, it's got to be run like a military operation, you know, but but really well. Yes. Work, right? yes, it was pretty smooth. Considering the massive size of the thing, it was very smooth. I mean, we were well handled, well taken care of. We had our area to hang out with. There was catering. The catering was good. I saw the Tom Tom Club guys from Talking Heads backstage. We had a nice little ho-ho about Connecticut because they live here too. Um, who was going on before me? Uh, seasick, what's his name? Seasick Steve. Steve with, uh, I believe, John Paul Jones was playing with him on that one. He, they were going on before us. Uh, it was a wonderful night. Uh, it was The weather was good. The crowd was fantastic. The sound was good. I felt like the band was firing on all cylinders. I'm proud of the recordings, which doesn't always happen with me. Um, <laughs> so it's I have great nothing but great memories of it. And I became very aware of the enormous reach this has into the culture of Britain, this uh, particular festival. Because, I mean, and in no way to belittle it, because it was huge. But yeah, I just, Sunday, played in front of, you know, ten times as many people as I played to at Glastonbury. Wow. Um, but, but it doesn't have, yeah, it has... It, it has doesn't a... have that kind of cachet, because it's not Glastonbury. Glastonbury's got a certain thing that resonates in the British culture that is really, really cool. And I can see why. It's an enormous festival, and the, the running of it must be monumentally difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's been a long time since I worked there. It was a lot smaller back then, although officially smaller. I'm not sure if it was actually smaller because they didn't have the security sorted out. So you get tons and tons of people, especially if the weather was good. You get a lot of people there. And it, it's 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 
an astonishing kind of scenario. I mean, I'm guessing when you're playing a, a gig like that, you know, you show up in many ways in the same way that you would for a regular gig. You know, they're making certain allowances for things that might go slightly awry. But in terms of if you're playing uh, perhaps at a, a smaller level where you have to kind of get across town and sort all your gigs out, I'm thinking you guys, because you're going to be there, aren't you? Um, and you've got to move your own kit around. I mean, how do you plan to survive as a musician playing at a lower level in a place like that? Because you have to camp with the rest of them. And, you know, how does it, how do you kind of manage all of that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I mean, I've had some really, really hard graft times in Glastonbury in the past, you know, of having to lug gear myself over fields and fields um but actually no it's not too bad i mean they will send out like little kind of buggies to get your gear from the car parks and you know there is a certain amount of infrastructure to help you out um so it's not so bad i'm a little bit miffed about the lack of guest passes that they give you you know or don't give you any more um and there is this growing uh this this growing trend to 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 not be paid and for them essentially to say your ticket is your payment and it's like hang on that's a that's not a nice thing you know it's like what not get paid but, well if you're doing more than one gig that doesn't really get you in it does that mean if i'm doing more than one gig then surely that logic should say well in that case i should have more than one ticket <laughs> well yeah but um but uh i think you know it's such an incredible festival in in many ways i think that the focus uh on the the main stages it's, it's not really what the festival's about i mean yes of course that hasn't that has an enormous draw but uh it's the diversity and the enormity of the festival and the most interesting bits without a shadow of a doubt is when you go off on a wonder and just discover unexpected things in and there's such a lot to discover and there's some really funky places like um really small little places like the the rabbit hole where you have to climb on hands and knees down a tunnel to get into this sort of uh, little venue in that's sort of like buried um, and all sorts of weird, yeah. wonderful little things like that, which, which is great. So it's always really exciting to, to feel like you're part of the festival. And, you know, and so although I'm having a little bit of a whinge about the, about some of the things, but you know, they know that if you don't do it, there's so many people who will do it. So, uh, and then you kind of think, mm, okay, I'll do it because I want to be part of the festival. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, think- it's interesting. I mean, I was working out. I think the uh, they reckon 180,000 tickets this year. It's 220 quid a ticket. That's 40 million quid in ticket sales, which is just mind-blowingly kind of and plus you know the tv rights must be i don't know what they they must charge for that but i mean in terms of a what it does show is how much power the music industry has as an entity because i mean they could use that in two directions so you know if, to get kanye or whoever it is along to headline on a saturday night they might well be able to negotiate a lower fee because they're saying well look at the exposure you get look at you know it's worth because you get that rebound don't you? you get the kind of you play a friday or a saturday night a big televised slot on one of the big stages and you get a huge spike in sales, digital sales, album sales, whatever it may be. Mm. So there's, it's a lot of complexity to the business side of it. But Jan- yeah, it's Janelle, Janelle Monet, after playing in 2011, saw the biggest, you know, they, they, they call it the Glastonbury effect. And Janelle Monet saw 10,000, 
thousand percent rise in her sales after Glastonbury appearance. You know, wow. Uh, I mean, and she is this as I often go on about her. Um, and she's working with Niall, I think, hasn't she? Or recently, um, Jan- Janelle. Yeah. yeah, she's amazing. I'm still an enormous mm-hmm. fan of her. But um, uh, you know, so there, ten thousand percent. And that, that was yeah. based on on iTunes, uh, but you right. know, to, to see to see your sales go, go up by ten thousand percent is um, is pretty astonishing. Yeah, amazing. I mean, um, uh, Mark. I mean, I'm guessing from when you know when you were touring with Duran, uh, were you getting were you attending festivals from a technical point of view? I mean, how is that? Yeah. Do you have to think about things very differently when you're doing festival shows? I mean, obviously, you don't get the setup time. Does every? I guess you just have to be really, really rehearsed technically to be able to just make sure it all happens and there's no chance for mess ups. You get a line check. Uh, yeah. You've got a line check, so you you've got to somehow get from one end of the, the sound engineer's got to get from one end of the board to the other end, I guess. Um, things go wrong, and then you've got to like figure them out while the show is going on and. Yeah, it's tough actually. Um, I mean, Adam, I, I was Adam's sound engineer and keyboard tech when he played in Glastonbury, but that was in the nineties. Um, I'm sure I've told you this before, but basically, he had some issue with the keyboard on stage, and I had to leave the desk and make my way through the crowd, and then get on the stage and fix this problem, and then get back to the desk. So that was weird. Uh, and it is. It's a very. Ex- it's a, yeah, sorry. go on. It's I a very exhilarating. Sorry, yeah, go. I'm going to go into a slight rant. Uh, maybe no. I'll start then. Uh, well, it's yeah. a, I mean, certainly from a technical point, I've Stop. done a couple of. I've done a couple of stages uh, at Glastonbury. I did the world stage with a couple of bands, which was a big. You know, one of the biggest things i've ever done as a sound engineer. And all I recall mostly about it is that it, it's so exhilarating because. Normally, you know, if in a in a live stage situation, you 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 have you know that the sound check and the tech is all sorted out because it's been sitting there. It's been you know people have been sort of tinkering with things that may have gone wrong in the sound check. So you have this kind of notion that things will probably be all right. But when you're at a festival gig, it's like one, two, three, four, and quite often a band will start with a sort of an inconsequential jam riff such say maybe to start things out just so that they can check everybody does there's a little brass bit here there's a bit there just so that the the front of house engineer can make sure it's all where it is and then you know yes let's go i mean that's sort of but i and i remember doing that with a band they were called um gosh what were they called they were called federation a big band it's a 10-piece band you know so from a sound engineering point of view it's quite a nightmare you know we've got but i don't remember a thing about it all i remember thinking was wow this sounds great um, but where's you know this? I'm, I'm, and you, so, you, but you sort of don't have time to fix. Like uh, the toms are not working, so you have to concentrate, make sure the vocals happen. You know, the, the, it, it's a very exhilarating experience, and it's actually quite different to any other gig because usually you've got something that can be dealt with uh, or has been dealt with. But I, I know it's um, Rich. You were putting. You know, is that what Sheik do? Do they sort of start with a bit of a kind of like a jam intro so that the band can kind of and the engineers and the tech can all get everything done out or you just straight in and go what the hell no it's two clicks and a huge a minor chord that goes on for i don't know 30 to 45 seconds during which everybody's playing riffs and kind of i guess you could call that the jam thing but it's really just one chord that gives our guy the time he needs to uh try to at least pull as much together as possible and make sure he's got everything we did you know they do a line check as mark says 
So uh, he should have everything, and he should have something close to his usual mix up to start from. And um, we move from there. So yeah. If you're carrying your mix on a stick, it's a lot easier. If you know yeah, yeah. what the desk's going to be and you turn up and you've got everything on, on your USB, oh, yeah. and you just plug that in and it brings a lot of stuff up. I mean, it's tough doing it with um, sequences and stuff as well because if the click doesn't get to the drummer, you're in trouble. <laughs> and and yeah. that's you know part of the line check. And then as soon as they start, uh, as soon as the band starts playing, next band on, you're playing they're unplugging all the other bands previous band stuff if they make a mistake with that things disappear if the click disappears again you're in trouble so well um, i'm guess i'm guessing the thing is also now i mean the, 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 my experiences were sort of pre-digital desks so there was you would just have whatever was roughly from the last kit and you just think well if the drummer was around about the same i know the kick and the snare are going to sound pretty damn good by now you know there's going to be enough beef to it and it's going to you know the same sort of marks are being used so there's an element of you have this you the on a on an analog desk you get this sort of uh uh, average level that seems to work and it certainly used to work when I was working on smaller stages you bring bands through and you, you, you'd you have got a nice kit sound maybe band one or band two by band two and then the third band comes on they're inheriting that kind of sound the problem would lie when an engineer comes in and they want and they have a radically different channel organisation or they yeah. have a radically you know that's when things get really complicated but with digital consoles and cross patching or what have you all of that stuff can be like you say, brought back at the, at, at the flick of a switch. But by the same token, if something goes wrong somewhere and you've got to try and unravel it all, that is a nightmare. And that's when things get difficult. I know, Rich, I think when you... I'm pretty sure one of our panellists had a, an anecdote about something like that happening in the past. And you well, just the think, last what? time we played Hyde Park, not one, but two Digco consoles crashed. And uh, we stood oh on that God. stage in front of 100,000 people and a whole ton of people on BBC for like 10 or 15 minutes while they tried to get us back up and running. And Niall was out there telling stories on a microphone that nobody could hear and trying to play <laughs> riffs through a guitar amp that nobody out there could hear. And um, it was quite bizarre. Yeah. And apparently, even though uh, our engineers really think they're fantastic consoles, uh, this year at Hyde Park they had Avid consoles. Ah, Interesting. I suppose something like that happens. I mean, two going down of any description is going to be a sort of like, yeah, okay, maybe we need to rethink this. But that's, uh, yeah. I think it was a software incompatibility with the version that had saved our setup. I suspect, Uh, I I, because how could two fail? There there has to be a demonstrable failure, uh, usually in software. I, I very seriously doubt two pieces of hardware failed. I think that they had these two consoles at a certain state that was not compatible fully with what they were loading into them for our mix and caused both consoles to fail. That's yeah. my suspicion. I'm guessing. I wasn't out there. I was standing yeah. on stage looking like a fool. But uh, but it w- this has all been broadcast. There's a B- there's a actual <laughs> DVD somewhere. That, I mean, of the actual was, downtime. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, it was it was big. I mean, we played like I don't know ten or fifteen minutes of the show. The people who were out there looking completely bewildered and waving their arms at us, and we're looking around, going, "Well, what's wrong? I don't understand it." Like we actually played. Okay. Was, the, first the, was the monitor the monitor system was working then? So you yes, were getting all your yes. And uh, we were playing like nothing was right. Like we're looking around, like why are they all crazy? out there why isn't this working and uh it was like 10 minutes of playing before they got us to stop 
that's pretty scary. I mean, the other thing that can happen also is if you've got one band coming on, another band with a technical... I remember it was, there was a band, I think it might have been Osric Tentacles, who came to play on a stage that I was running, and they have a lot of analogue equipment. And it just took so long to get everything tuned up sort of just right so that they could hit go. And it actually was a really big delay. And that's a real danger. I mean, obviously, some bands, you know... Uh, to be able to do that in a festival situation is a pretty scary well, thought. I don't know if you, you, you've ever seen... Uh, sorry, Rich. Mark made that point about that little sampler that loads in seven seconds the other week that we... Uh, that yeah, we that the... Because uh, when right. you have to reload samplers full of your show, that's a big piece of downtime right there, especially if your songs don't sound like much without them. Yeah. Without naming scary. any names. Um, <laughs> but, so, so Gaz, your, your gigs this weekend, have you got... Uh, have you... Tr- do you try when you know that it's a festival destination? Do you think, well, I'm just going to keep things simple, you know, guitar into something maybe, and then into the amp, and that's it? Yeah, I mean, with these gigs, uh, there's backline provided, so I'm actually going to use my Sans amp VT bass uh, preamp pedal. Ah, okay, and just uh, which so for me that's such a simple setup because I know I can get the tone off that. So I'm just literally so. <laughs> which is really unlike me. I normally have to take lots of kit out. So this is just a bass guitar and just that that one pedal. Uh, ah. so, so I've just nice. spotted Pop, Pop in the chat room said Eat Static. It, actually, it wasn't Osric. It was Eat Static, Eat I think, static. That, uh, that, uh-huh. that we had. That, that It just took very long time to get them set up because they just had everything. And yeah. it was literally like a load of cable just dangling from keyboard sounds. It wasn't even kind mm. of... <laughs> it was really <laughs> sort of... Uh, I remember they're, looking at it, I think this is gonna isn't gonna end well. And it they're on yeah. They're on the same stage as us actually. Are they, oh. I think they're playing the same day as us on the same stage. The Glade cool. stage. Uh, uh, Eat Static. Um I'm not sure if Osric's are at Glastonbury this year, but um Yeah, God. But I mean I'd be interested to see what Eat Static I think Eat Static are probably They've probably learned, yes, I'd imagine. I mean, we're talking, you know, probably 10 plus years ago that I did that. uh, Well, more, I'd imagine. So I think they probably have utilized the uh, notion of of creating things that are a little simpler (laughs) to use, perhaps. Can I have my rant now? Oh, go on. Maybe it's not so much of a rant. I just went out to the festival site on my motorbike (laughs) because I I had... Whoa. Rich is listening to Tempest music. That's a little. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you I, went down because you're quite close to the site, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm about. Well, I live in Glastonbury, so I'm seven miles away from Glastonbury Festival, which actually isn't in Glastonbury, but they like to call it Glastonbury Festival because you can see the tour from the site. But if you go to Glastonbury Festival and you decide you're going to walk to the tour, don't do it. Go in a cab because it's a really long way. Um, but I was absolutely flabbergasted because I've sort of kept my motorbike and sort of thinking, oh, it'd be really fun to like go and roar along the side of all the traffic that's trying to get on site um, and kind of like to be on a bike and to be free and everything and to go and have a nice look and see what's going on and, or, and get a vibe for it and everything. So today's the day when all the uh, AA and RAC signs are saying, avoid this area on this day traffic's going to be absolute chaos and really there's no traffic out there at all it's so efficient they're getting people on site so efficiently that I, i'm sort of i was i was thinking like you know i could have driven there just as quickly in a car i think um, right so, so it, well, it's got- unbelievably efficient i mean uh, uh, in the 90s uh all, all traffic was static in that area and now they've got it down 
Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I they used to. I remember because I used to. Yeah, so. One of my one of my jobs was to go and pick the people up from uh, like Bristol uh, Airport or the train station, bring the acts in and take them out. And there was a little back route that we always used to get in a, a, a special kind of artist transport transit route. So they they, right. they obviously manage it incredibly well. I mean, it, it's it it's you know after this, this many years, the you'd think they would have to. This was the main road. Wow. going bang past the site and i was just like whoa okay you know there's i mean i thought i had to stop for a moment for buses to kind of come into the site because they've got to do a wide turn but i mean apart from that everything was moving and going on there and everything so uh i'm i'm most impressed with the way they've all and i'm glad to see you've got your uh festival top hat on there mark that's very uh <laughs> that's very cool you, i think it needs a feather in it though if i may be so bold it's got a feather in it Oh, it's a little feather, like. Uh, oh yeah, okay, I see. Huh. Gotcha. Go. I, I got I some cider that. downstairs as well. I'm going to go downstairs <laughs> have a nice uh, flagon of cider. Lovely, uh, Mark. Uh, sorry, Gaz, you wanted to. Just this is just a a, a tale about my delusion, really. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I, my friend was working on one of the stages, and we had to drive, and I was giving him a lift. Um, and we had to drive right up to the stage and it was just the day before the festival began. But there's lots and lots of people there. But we had to drive right up. So I opened all the windows of my car and I played Gong's Master Builder at full volume or the glorious <laughs> Omri, if it's the same. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just drove in with the windows down, uh, you know, just thinking this will show them. This is, you know, we've arrived, you know, playing this because I think that is like the space rock anthem, was your, you know. Was your car um, full of dust at the end of it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was actually. I think I, um, I think it did actually do some damage to the car. But uh, yeah, I thought we're the coolest. We're the coolest guys on site now playing this kind of old, you know, space rock Brilliant. classic. Yeah, master builder or glorious or Omrith. Yeah, I think I'm have to recreate that this time as well. Just um, excellent. Well, I, I, I'm. Uh, I thought I'm, you were going I'm, to end the story by saying the guy that wrote it came up to you at the end. Well, I I remember that what my one Glastonbury story about vehicle. Anyway, I used to have this beautiful old Saab V96, which uh, is oh, uh, bullno bull Saab, and uh, I, okay. I, I, I it was the only luxury I allowed myself when I had a record deal. I, you know, it took this guy ages to restore. It was beautiful, and I took it to Glastonbury. And I remember the battery went flat for whatever reason, and I was working on a stage, and I got all these guys to help me. I may, I may have told this story, but not for a long time, so this might be a new audience. And, and, and I got all these guys to help me and to bump it. And the thing about a Saab, it's got two modes of operation. You've got this little lever that you pull, and it goes in freewheel mode, which basically all it does is it means that there's no clutch braking. So what right. it does is it, when, you, when you get the engine going, it just pulls. It doesn't brake. And I got the push. It was pushed. This is Monday morning and everybody was just absolutely knackered and really hot and sweaty. And they're pushing my car around for ages. And I realized that I had it in free wheel mode, so it would not bump start. Oh. And, I couldn't, and, they, and eventually I sort of pulled it and managed to get going. And it was like I felt so guilty because they were obviously just lapsed. But I don't remember the names of the guys, but if any of them remember it, I do apologize. But I would like to finish up now. Uh, no, it's not a two-stroke. It's not. It, it was a. It was a proper, uh, proper a V4. I think it was or a V6. Oh yeah, the V4. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, it was lovely. Anyway, but um, thank you very much, everybody. It's been great fun. Uh, I want to say, uh, if, if you are going to Glastonbury, and it's, uh, I, I think I got the weather up somewhere. Let's have a look. Where was it? It was. Um, let's see what it's looking like. It looks like Friday, light rain in the evening. Saturday, sun and cloud. 
uh, 10% chance of rain, but Sunday, uh, 40% chance of rain. So it should probably be just about right if it's not going to rain because it's the mud that gets you. So hopefully, and also it won't be too hot because the other thing about Glastonbury, obviously, is there's very little chance for shade. You don't, you, that's one thing you forget about. Unless you're working backstage where you're in a tent and you've got access to shade, you, you don't. So if you're going, make sure you look after yourself, but have a great time. And Gaz, mm. I want you to have a great time, uh, yeah. particularly as I now know what you're wearing. You sent me this uh, this picture of you which is you that is an awesome outfit so this That's, is your uh, your base outfit so very yeah. psychedelic i just customized the base yesterday as well with lots of uh, uh, i don't know if you can see can you zoom that picture on the base i just covered it in in all sorts of stuff oh wow um, that's really cool geometric transfers yeah so, um sweet <laughs> and, the and you got uh, you've got and the boots hold on let's get the boots Ah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my daughter, my daughter's got some of those. Yeah. So, anyway, well, I just a, want to say, ha- yeah, have a great time. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And f- uh, don't forget, uh, I should just quickly, uh, if you want to enter the Isotope competition, uh, you have to uh, tweet out. You need to be on Twitter, the hashtag Deep Digital Control, Deep Digital Control, uh, and the hashtag Ozone6 uh, with uh, six on the end of Ozone to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And fill up the available space with anything uh, else you fancy uh, in terms of characters. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. I want to say uh, we'll say thank you to Rich Hilton over there in Connecticut. Uh, you're not festivaling this time. Are you, are you, have you got a quiet weekend? I'm home this weekend. Yes, ah, with my lovely wife. Excellent. Well, congratulations. I'm sure thank you, you. that you'll have a lot. And it's almost barbecue weather. Certainly here. I'm hoping. Oh, to have it's one. certainly it's been barbecue weather here since February. What are you talking ah. about? I barbecue. I barbecue in the middle of winter. Ah, well, okay. Well, mate, I'm thinking about building a pizza oven. Actually, that's what I'm going to do. Anyway, wow. Uh, and thank you very much, Mark Tinley, for joining us as well from Glastonbury. I hope um, that your your near Glastonbury experience is okay as well. You don't get too many wandering um, sort of oh zonk God, type people. It's pe- insane. <laughs> it's totally, totally insane. It started about a week ago, and I just keep running into like bizarre Swedish people on the high street with rucksacks who are like, hello, at like mm. two o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, where are you staying? You know, but... Uh, and there's teams and teams and teams of cars just coming. I think people are driving here from London in little convoys. So, again, ah, okay. I, I like walking my dog really late at night because I really enjoy um, uh, kind of like looking up at the canopy of stars and being on my own, which doesn't happen very often in Glastonbury. So, um, but, you know, walking back from walking the dog last night about quarter to two, like this kind of little convoys of cars, like maybe a dozen people who are clearly all together all playing the music with their tents or all packed out and everything and they all come around and and then and then it all goes quiet again and then another lot come in and my if i look out my front window now there's just buses full of people with stuff and everything so wow but they but they don't you know what they don't really come to glastonbury they go to the glastonbury festival and then they go away again uh, um, uh, uh, just a small number of people who come here a week early and kind of because uh, Glastonbury is traditionally a, a, a very important uh, religious stroke spiritual site so the people who have an interest in religious stroke spiritual things come here as well and go to the tour and the Chalicewell Gardens and go and visit the thing where Joseph of Arimathea stuck the stake in the ground and the holy yeah oh, yes that's right grew yeah. up and jesus came here and all that good stuff so so um 
So, so yeah. all pilgrim, pilgrims of every kind. Anyway, pilgrims anyway, right, of right. every kind, yeah. 84 faiths here, apparently. I haven't wow. met all of them, but I've met some of them, and some of them are really actually quite interesting. So, Well, thank you very much, Mark. And also, Please. Gaz, who is, when are you actually going on site, then? Uh, tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I hope it is all you could hope it will be, and your tent is as comfortable as you can make it. Ah, who needs a tent? I'm just... I'm just going to sleep on the ground. Sleep up. I'm going to take, I'm going to consume enough of things. So it just, I'll just sleep Doesn't anywhere. Matter. Uh, no, Doesn't I, I won't matter. sleep anyway. Who's going to sleep? You don't sleep at a festival. I just got <laughs> so I got your phone number, by the way. I've got your phone number, haven't I? Yeah. Yeah. Because if yeah. I come on site, I'll text you and I'll come and come meet and find you somewhere. Me. Yeah, yeah. And please, I okay. really hope that some Sonic, so, Sonic state, uh, Sonic talk viewers come and find me, so, uh, and find give, me. Us the, give us the times and the stages once again then oh yeah so glade stage uh on saturday 12 10 p.m and avalon cafe sunday 7 30 p.m and matuki is the name of the group uh afrobeat is well Brilliant. funky <laughs> okay well great well that's it for this week i'll leave you with the image of uh perhaps gaz in his outfit as we fade to black uh that was sonic talk number 408. Thank you very much for watching.